Said I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a very busy show today, so I'm not taking any calls today. And I think the last time the last time we did a show, uh, I was taking calls, but I forgot to take the um, thing off of unavailable. Uh, so I was. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the uh, weekend uh, really had a lot of interesting um, things to talk about. And there's just um, some really great clips I want to run for you. Uh, Donald Trump is uh, really the lion of the Republican Party. And guess what? Ronald McDaniel is going down. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be good news. And... Um, we're going to see how that plays out. But Jenna Ellis uh, went after Ronna McDaniel over the weekend and basically was saying to Ronna, you know, why do you keep uh, suggesting that the election fraud efforts that Giuliani and myself made were, were not accurate? And she called her to the carpet. Ronna McDaniel blocked Jenna Ellis on social media and... You know, and it's starting to trend. Uh, it's trending. So that was good news. That was uh, very good news because I have had it out for Ronald McDaniel for a while. I just can't stand her. I never, ever liked her. Back in 2018, I was like, how do you lose an election? Ronald McDaniel's not doing her job. And she was the one that was behind Liz Cheney. She was the one that was behind a lot of this stuff. Um and I have a feeling that there's a connection between what she's doing and the financing of candidates that were questioning the election, 2020 election results. That is a big one. We have infiltrators within the Republican Party that must go at all costs. And 
they come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes, all kinds of different ideologies and messaging. You take Marco Rubio over the weekend. Marco Rubio is doing a, you know, he's doing a good thing by calling out Cuba. No one's complaining about that. He's calling out the uh, the Biden administration for basically getting it wrong with the interpretation of what ha- what is happening in Cuba with these very rare uh, uprisings, almost revolutionary. New York Times writes it as chanting freedom and other anti-government slogans. Now, I kind of know what they meant by that, but they're basically suggesting that these people that are crying out for freedom are anti-government, so therefore they're the troublemakers. No, it's the other way around. And it's not Che Guevara or one of those types of socialist radicals that's looking for freedom because they are tyrants or they turn into dictators and they kill people. They impoverish people. They cause the prices of goods to go up, the value of their money to go down, and they censor the speech that they do. I'm like, wait a second, that sounds like the Republican Party. That sounds like the Republicans that are being thrown in jail for going to a Trump rally. We're going to listen to Trump's interview with Maria Bartiroma today, and he's going to address exactly what was going on there. Um, so I'm excited to share that with you. But the, the main thing is, is, is that the Republicans in, in the Senate and in the Congress are so quick to come to the aid of the repressed in Cuba. But where the heck are they with the people sitting in jail for the January 6th rally that some uh, that the mainstream media is calling the insurrection? Where are they? They're so quick to denounce socialism in Cuba, but what about the socialism right here in Washington, D.C.? Why? Is Ronna McDaniel not defending the uh, election audits? What's in it for her? I'll tell you what it is. Toyota. That's the next brand I'm boycotting. Toyota and Lexus. I actually owned a Lexus. I got rid of it years ago. But I will not buy a Toyota or Lexus. Now. I won't. I won't do it. And the reason why is because the Lincoln Project, the people that were part of the Weekly Standard and the people that were part of like uh, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, and uh, Bill Crystal, you know, from the Weekly Standard, and now they have this organization called The Dispatch, Jonah Goldberg, and a bunch of other losers retards, I mean, dummies. They were running the Republican Party to the ground, taking their losses and and accepting their wins as part of a business deal where they control funding on behalf of the corporate sponsorships. McCarthy's best buddy, Frank Luntz, is doing the same thing with Google and big tech. And so what they are are infiltrators. They're insiders. They're infiltrating the Republican Party. 
and the people that inspired some of the violence and the taken hidden money from people like Patrick Byrne and others uh, did not do a great service with respect to the Trump movement right now and allowed the Democrats to gain, gain an upper hand in terms of making fun of a lot of the uh, promises that were made but not kept. I will even say Mike Lindell is being laughed at a lot because he's not getting the job done. And I think that what Trump is doing, and I think that right now what CPAC is doing, I'm not always a big fan of CPAC, but going to Dallas and going to other cities and states with their big organized movement is a great vehicle and a great venue for Donald Trump. They did a straw poll in Dallas over the weekend with the CPAC, which was a great success, not only in Orlando, because they didn't do one here in D.C., they did it in Orlando. Great success. And then they did it in uh, Dallas, and they're going to take this across the country. It's actually an idea that I have had, but I don't have the same muscle as CPAC does. But it's one of the things that we want to do is set up speaking tours in cities around America and reach out and touch and hobnob and network with you know leadership all throughout the country. The straw poll said that Trump won by over 70%. That was up from 54% in the last straw poll. And DeSantis took a 20-22% as the uh, second place choice. And people like Mike Pence got zero. So that's pretty cool, right? That tells you exactly what's going on. And CPAC was not always Trump country. Trump won CPAC over. CPAC wasn't always Trump country. I remember in 2016, I went to CPAC. And there was literally a Republican coup against Donald Trump in March of 2016. And what that was about was they weren't ready for primetime. They were not ready for Trump's style of leadership. I was, but they weren't. The Republican Party wasn't, and even CPAC wasn't. Matt Schlapp wasn't. But now Matt Schlapp has had a reawakening. And hopefully the NRA will too, because today they're going to uh, have a uh, discussion in Washington among the Biden crew. They're going to get a couple of mayors, like Mariel, Mariel Bowser from D.C., and they're going to get Merrick Garland, that dodo brain that doesn't even know if it's legal or not to come across the border illegally. That's Merrick Garland. Obama's choice to be Supreme Court to replace Scalia back in the day. Well, they're going to be talking about violent crime in Democrat cities, and they're not going to look at the root causes of of the violent crime. Single-parent homes, fatherless homes, in black communities, without mentorship, these children are growing up being gangbangers because they're not making ends meet. If you look at what Trump did, 
with paths to education, with HBCU loans. that were multi-year loans for multi-year investments. That was a game changer. How about opportunity zones to actually create incentives for corporations to build jobs in struggling communities, struggling minority communities? Opportunity zones. Speaking of opportunity zones, that was a Tim Scott idea. Guess how many percentage points Tim Scott got in the straw poll at CPAC? Zero. Because he's a rhino too, but he came up with a good idea with opportunity zones. Trump bought into that. And the black unemployment set all kinds of records. So Trump said, what the hell do you have to lose to the black community? And the black community benefited directly. And yet the thanks that Trump gets is that the black socialists of America that were inspired by the Black Lives Matter reparations and and violent attacks on the establishment and the socialist Marxist views of free handouts, these liberals uh, were part of the problem. You know, Black Lives Matter was originated in 2013 in, in the wake of the Michael Brown lie, hands up, don't shoot. And that was used by the liberals to divide the black party, to divide the black people by political ideology. And they took that to a greater scale when they became the snowball that got bigger. And if you click on their donate button, it goes to Act Blue. So it's all about it's all about uh, financing the Democrat Party. That's what Black Lives Matter is. They're being used like um, mules and slaves to to generate funding for the Democrat white Democrat liberal elites who defend them in the media, but the people that are making money are the top brass buying million-dollar homes. It's not trickling down to the people. It's like I've always said about Native Americans and their casinos. I don't think it's fair that Native Americans get a free hand up on casinos, even I'm a Native American. I think it should be available equally to anybody who wants to do a casino or not. I'm not a big fan of casinos, but... I don't like the bi- you know the the uh, racial biases there. And in addition to that, the money never trickles down to the people they promise are going to get it when they sell the idea and they exploit these minorities for all they're worth. And it happens in the Native American Indian communities, it happens when the UN comes to a unite U- Native American Indian reservation and tries to buy up their land and own a big stake in American properties? Not because they have America first agenda. No, they have America last agenda, folks. So this uh, whole thing that happened in CPAC was an eye-opener for a lot of rhinos. And it's apropos and it's tight, timely that Jenna Ellis, one of the, one of the lead, you know, one of the real strong Trump supporting people that makes a difference. Not these people that are blowing wind saying they're going to flip everything upside down and inside out and they never get anything done. Who happen to endorse liberals or be all liberals. Like even Flynn's a liberal, right? He's been a Democrat his whole life. Even Lynn Wood was a liberal, a Democrat his whole life. Even Patrick Byrne is a liberal, a Democrat his whole life. 
How could you trust these people when they keep on talking and keep on talking, but they never get anything done? Jenna Ellis is getting something done. I guarantee you, this is going to be the last you see of Ronald McDaniel. I'm going to tell you that Ronald McDaniel is going down because there is a movement in the wake of CPAC in Dallas this weekend where people are waking up finally and saying, you know what, Ronna McDaniel is horrible. She sucks when it comes to leading the Republican Party. And we need new leadership. And that's what the Bugle Call and MAGAPAC have all been about since day one. Our first slogan and our only slogan, and it, it applies to Red State Talk Radio, The Scott Adams Show, MAGAPAC, and buglecall.org. And what it is, it's very simple. America first and supporting America first policies to make America great again. And we know what the American first policies are. It's pretty simple. It's common sense politics, folks. And I'm tired of being attacked and tired of being attacked and attacked. And guess what? Cuba rises up and they complain against tyranny and socialism and all the Republicans come out of the woodwork and support Cuban uh, revolutionaries who are taking to the streets to complain about their conditions, their inflation, their, their monetary va- dollar values going down uh, as inflation goes up. Their cost of living, they can't afford food, they can't afford medical. Now, COVID had an impact on them, but they were the ones com- uh, suggesting that, hey, we have great medical. No, they don't. Socialized medicine's not failing them right now in Cuba. They're taken to the streets because they're starving. They're taken to the streets because they have no freedom of speech. And that's exactly what they're trying to endorse here. But yet the Biden administration and the New York Times are trying to tell you that this is all about the pandemic. They're complaining about the pandemic. They're trying to spin it to say, hey, we need more vaccines. We need more of this. We need more of that. No, they're complaining about the tyranny. So don't let the Biden fools fool you. By the way, there's this new term called medical apartheid. It used to be that medical apartheid was associated with um, the separation uh, between countries that get the vaccines and medical and, they, and the countries that don't. And they were trying to say that was medical apartheid. But now it's something different. It's, it's basically the draconian rules against the uh, more open rules. It's against the ma- vaccine mandates. There's going to be, um, there's, le- there's Democrat leadership that's going out in the media today. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, we need to make it very difficult. We need to punish people who don't adopt the vaccine passports. We need to punish them. And how do you like that? It's kind of crazy stuff, isn't it? They want to punish people who don't toe the line. We need to make it difficult for them. We need to make it so they have to fill out all kinds of paperwork and wear masks. And if they don't comply, if they don't oblige us, we need to make it very, very difficult for them. And uh, just take a listen to this woman here. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Listen, Listen to this. 
think this really depends on what it is that we do at this point. So now we have this Delta variant that is much more contagious. Because it's more contagious, it's going to be even harder for us to reach herd immunity. We're going to have to vaccinate an even higher proportion of people to get there. What happens then if we end up having another variant developing that's even more contagious, that could cause more disease, that could evade the protection of our immune system? And so how quickly we get this under control and which way we go depends on what we do now when it comes to vaccination, to overcoming disinformation. And what we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Right now, it's kind of the opposite. It's fine. I mean, it's easy if you're unvaccinated. You can do everything you want to do anyway. But at some point, these mandates by workplaces, by schools, I think it will be important to say, hey, you can opt out. But if you want to opt out, you have to sign these forms. You have to get twice weekly testing. Basically, we need to make getting vaccinated the easy choice. That is what it's going to take for us to actually end the pandemic. What a monster, right? Is she an absolute monster of a human being? Her name is uh, Lena Wen. Big, big surprise. Communist China. Uh, I'm sick and tired of these people. By the way, uh, there was a big event over the weekend called the UFC. Guess who got the standing ovation? Donald J. Trump walked into the arena like a boss, an entourage. Everybody stood up and applauded. All 16,000 people of them cheered this man on because they know he's the real president of the United States. He's the real leader. He's the one that loves America. He's the one that supports America first, border security, lower taxes, lower regulation, better foreign policy, uh, and building up the middle class and the middle class workers who are the engine that should be and should be running America. Because with that foundation, America stays strong. A strong military that's never questioned or tested. Um, Trump walked in. This is the kind of cheering he got. USA. USA. Now, guess what? Guess who was in attendance? Uh, Mel Gibson saluted the president and applauded. He was there in attendance in Las Vegas. It was a it was a great night. Not for Conor McGregor, though. I'll, I'll say Conor McGregor broke his leg, and uh, they're probably going to have to do a fourth fight between Poirier and McGregor. But uh, yeah, so Mel Gibson saluted the president. And that was just great. Um, all right. So we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to move on. Uh, Donald Trump gave a great interview and a great speech at CPAC. Uh, and we're going to play a clip about, let's see, let's take a listen to, okay. I want to, I want to play this one Trump clip first. And then I'm going to play a second Trump clip. Uh, or the, uh, we're going to play this one right here. This is a lead up to the next clip. I'm going to play a Tucker Carlson clip first. Then we're going to go into the Maria Bartiroma interview uh, because he talks about the January 6th event and he talks about his lawsuit and he says some things that are really, uh, I think, really focused, really things you need to hear. Um, but let's take a listen to this real quick because this is about this guy uh, Marty Maids, 
Uh, he's a podcaster, but he put together a really beautiful thread. The thread mimics, it literally mimics everything we've been talking about on the Scott Adams show for the last year. And he encapsulates it all in one threaded tweet. So that's why I want to play it because basically he says it better than I, I've been saying this stuff for years and every show is a little different and you know, we, it gets sort of lost in the days and weeks and months and people forget about certain things we've said. But when you listen to this and since you're already listening to the Scott Adams show, I assume you listen to it. Um, when you listen to this, uh, Tucker Carlson, read of Marty made uh, a Twitter Twitter account. When you listen to it, think about everything we've been saying on the Scott Adams show and then think about this encapsulation of it all. And it's exactly where we've been and where we're going and what we've been doing for the last year. It's everything. It speaks to the volumes about everything, what, everything that Bugle Call is about, MAGA Pack is about, Red State Talk Radio is about, and Scott Adams Show is about. And let's take a listen. So it first started here. Well, Tucker Carlson read it out on Friday. Donald Trump over the weekend at CPAC Dallas spoke about it here. It was really great that he did this, but here it is. But if you can't wait for Durham, just read... A man named Daryl Cooper's brilliant thread on Twitter. He tells the whole story. You got to read it. As he put it, we know as fact the Steele dossier was the sole evidence just to justify spying on the Trump campaign. They spy. Think of it. They spied on my campaign and nothing will happen to them. Think of it. How can you imagine if I spied on Biden's campaign or Obama's campaign. Could you imagine what would have happened? They spied on my campaign. We caught them and nothing happened. But if you can't wait. All right. So there's that part. Now let's take a listen to what he's talking about, because Donald Trump became aware of that because Tucker Carlson shined the spotlight on it. And this is going to be a seven minute clip. You're going to absolutely love it. And it's everything that we've been saying for the last many years. So let's take a listen. Yesterday, an historian and podcaster called Daryl Cooper wrote a remarkable series of tweets in which he tried to explain why so many Trump voters believe the last election was rigged. Really smart. He crystallized it. We'd like to read some of it now. Quote, here are the facts, actual confirmed facts that shape the perspective of Trump voters. The FBI spied on the 2016 Trump campaign using evidence manufactured by the Clinton campaign. We now know that all involved knew it was fake from day one. The voters this was aimed at are Tea Party people, the type who give their kids a pocket constitution for their birthday and have founding fathers memes in their bios. The intel community spying on a presidential campaign using fake evidence, including forged documents, is a big deal to them. Trump supporters know the collusion case front and back. They went from worrying the collusion must be real to suspecting it might be fake to realizing it was a scam and then watched as every institution, the intel agencies, the press, Congress, academia, gaslit them for another year. Worse, collusion was used to scare away good people from working in the Trump administration. They knew their entire lives would be investigated. Many quit because they were being bankrupted by legal fees. 
The DOJ, the press, and the government destroyed lives and actively subverted an elected administration. This is where people whose political identity was largely defined by a naive belief in what they learned in civics class began to see the outline of a regime that had crossed all institutional boundaries. That regime stepped out of the shadows to unite against an interloper, Donald Trump. A lot of Trump supporters understand this regime is not partisan. They know that the same institutions would have taken opposite sides if it was a Tulsi Gabbard versus Jeb Bush election. It's hard to describe to people on the left how shocking and disillusioning this was for conservatives, people who encourage their sons to enlist in the army and hate those who don't stand for the anthem. They could have managed the shock if it only involved the government. But the behavior of the corporate press is what really radicalized them. They hate journalists more than they hate any politician or government official because they feel most betrayed by them. The idea that the press is driven by ratings and sensationalism became untenable. If that were true, they'd be all over the Epstein story. But they're not. The corporate press is the propaganda arm of the regime. Nothing anyone says will ever make them unsee that, period. This is profoundly disorienting. Many Trump voters don't know for certain whether ballots were faked in November 2020, but they know for absolute certain that the press, the FBI, and the rest would lie to them if they were. They watch the press behave like animals for four years. Tens of millions of people will always see Brett Kavanaugh as a gang rapist based on nothing because of CNN. And CNN seems proud of that. CNN led a lynch mob against a high school kid. They cheered on a summer of riots. Republicans always claimed the media had liberal bias, but they still thought the press would admit the truth if they were cornered. Huh. It's a very different thing to watch the media invent stories out of whole cloth in order to destroy regular people's lives and spark mass violence. Time magazine has told us that during the 2020 riots, there were weekly conference calls involving, among others, leaders of the protests, the local officials who refused to stop them, and media people who frame them for political effect. In Ukraine, we call that a color revolution. Throughout the summer, Democratic governors took advantage of COVID to change voting procedures. It wasn't just the mail-in ballots. They lowered signature matching standards and a lot else. Then there was Hunter Biden's laptop. Big tech ran a full-on censorship campaign against a major newspaper to protect a political candidate. Period. Everyone knows it. All the tech companies now admit it was a mistake. But the election's over, so who cares? It goes without saying that if the New York Times had Don Jr.'s laptop, which is full of pictures of him smoking crack and engaging in group sex with lots of lurid family drama, emails describing direct corruption, the New York Times would not have been banned. Think back. Stories about Trump being urinated on by Russian prostitutes and blackmailed by Putin were promoted as fact when the only evidence was a document paid for by his opposition and disavowed by its source. The New York Post was banned for reporting on true information. The reaction of Trump people to all of this was not, no, fair. That's how they felt about, say, Romney's Binders of Women story in 2012. This is different. Now they see, correctly, that every institution is captured by people who will use any means to exclude them from the political process. And yet they still showed up in record numbers to vote. Trump got 13 million more votes than he did in 2016. He got 10 million more than Clinton got. As election night dragged on, his voters allowed themselves some hope. But when the four critical swing states, and only those states, went dark at midnight, they knew. Over the ensuing weeks, they got shuffled around by grifters and media scam artists selling them conspiracy theories. 
They latched on to one, then another increasingly absurd theory as they tried to put a concrete name on something very real. Media and tech did everything to make things worse. Everything about the election was strange, the changes to procedure, unprecedented mail-in voting, the delays, etc. But rather than admit that and make everything transparent, they banned discussion of it, even in direct messages. Everyone knows that, just as Don Jr.'s laptop would have been the story of the century. If everything about this election dispute was the same except the parties were reversed, suspicions about the outcome would have been taken very seriously. See 2016 for proof. They understood, they understand why courts refuse to take the election case. What judge will stick his neck out for Donald Trump knowing that he'll be destroyed in the media as a violent mob burns down his house? It is a fact, according to Time magazine, that mass riots were planned in cities across the country if Trump won. Sure, they were protests, but they were planned by the same people as during the summer, and everyone knows what that would have meant. Judges have families, too. Forget the ballot conspiracies. It's a fact that governors used COVID to unconstitutionally alter election procedures, something the Constitution states that only legislatures can do to help Biden make up for a massive enthusiasm gap by gaming the mail-in ballot system. They knew it was unconstitutional when they did it. It's right there in plain English in the Constitution. But they also knew the cases wouldn't see court until after election. What judge is going to toss millions of ballots because a governor broke the rules? The threat of mass riots wasn't implied. It was direct. And he goes on. In the end, Daryl Cooper writes, not every theory about election fraud is true. But Trump's voters, quote, are absolutely right that their government is monopolized by a regime that believes they are beneath representation and will observe no limits to keep them getting it. End quote. That is true. And every honest person knows it. Yesterday. Well, wasn't that great? Was that wonderful? That was absolutely stunning. And, you know, we owe uh, a lot of debt and gratitude to Donald Trump for taking this fight to the big tech. This big tech fight is absolutely uh, important. And and the other big fight, and I've been saying this for the longest t- time, I said the most important, and so have a lot of people I, I tend to follow. They've been saying, you know, you're going to be told about UFOs and you're going to be told about this and that. Do not get distracted. Don't take your eye off the ball. The most important thing going on right now is the forensic audit in Arizona. And Trump's going to speak to that in just a moment. Um, before we do that, we're going to listen to Lara Logan talking about the big tech and why big tech is such a threat and how it's so enormous. And then we're going to get to Donald Trump's interview with Maria Bartiromo, where he talks about January 6th, the uh, election uh, audits, and some other uh, really important things. But let's take a listen to this really quick. Because there's so much, right? I mean, the depth and breadth uh, to which we have given up all of our privacy is truly staggering. As a mother, I was particularly shocked and alarmed by how every single piece of information that they have about us, even things like, you know, they create a pattern of life and they connect all the dots and they know everything that you do. So if you're pregnant, you know, they can tell that by the changes in your habits and what you search online. And they can, uh, you know, 
know, they can manipulate a child that has anxiety by constantly reinforcing the things that give that child anxiety. And things like 23andMe, you know, these, these companies that use, you know, your DNA to tell you all about your history, that they're selling that information to people like, you know, um, insurers, medical insurers, and, um, and all the, the people that you don't want to have that information are getting it. And that everything has a back door. And that the government has literally is spying on us in every means possible. And how the phone companies, the tech companies, they've sold us out. Um, and there is no such thing as the Fourth Amendment anymore. I mean, all of those things. In fact, there's, there's so much, Brian, it's difficult to name it all. So the, uh, the first episode, which drops today, uh, Privacy in the Digital Age, how algorithms now shape how we see the world instead of on personal, with personal uh, communications. So you go into this, you're supposed to read about it and understand it, but you don't know exactly where these stories go when you get in. So what are algorithms doing? The algorithms are basically figuring out how to manipulate you. And, you know, this idea that um, notifications, for example, you know, look how they interrupt your life. You know, we think, oh, that's so cool. There's a picture I haven't, you know, seen. There's someone I haven't thought about in a long time. But actually what these things are doing is dragging you away from what you're trying to do and what you're trying to focus on. And they're pushing you in the direction that somebody else wants you to go. They're also creating patterns, you know, so... When, when Edward Snowden exposed all those programs that the NSA was using, you know, after that, those programs were declared illegal by two federal judges, right? Yep. Because that's basically surveillance and spying on you without a warrant. Well, that's exactly what big tech is doing. And they're giving all of that information to the government as well through all these backdoor programs. And what that allows them to do is to map out. It's not just about selling you something that you maybe want, maybe don't mm -hmm. want. It's about creating an intimate pattern of life through which they can manipulate you, potentially bribe you, you know, and exert pressure on you. I mean, basically, it gives them control over you. And that's the scariest thing of all. We've surrendered the Fourth Amendment to absolute control over all of us. You will learn something from each and every episode. And Laura doing something very unique. I'm jealous. One at a time. Every day you... All right. So, you know, and the vaccine passports is just an extension of that. Who originated this? Well, let's go back to Ted Cruz's vice president pick, Carly Fiorina, a Republican. Let's look at Frank Luntz. Let's look at Kevin McCarthy, right? So there's this tie-in where there, it's sort of like an infiltration of a liberal cause for funding. Like I said, the Lincoln Project, a bunch of rhinos, right? They just threatened Toyota, basically to not support they were they were calling out toyota for supporting can, republican candidates who actually questioned the 2020 election and now i'm boycotting toyota because they pulled back they made a statement that said we are no longer going to be funding or or uh, supporting candidates who questioned the 2020 election toyota did that that's their statement and the Lincoln Project, who's worthless to me, how anybody donates to the Lincoln Project is beyond me. But they were connected with a lot of power elites and a lot of people that smoke cigars and drink scotch in the back rooms who try to tell you that they support Trump because they know they have to, but they really don't. And they're stabbing you in the back. And that's what we're up against now. We're not up against, you know, that's our enemy, that's our friend.
It's not like that anymore. There are infiltrators, folks, in the Republican Party. And Donald Trump has to actually play to all of them. A lot of people ask, why is Trump supporting that person? Why is Trump aligned with that person? Because in politics, when you need all the votes to win, you need to actually court every single one of those chapters or one of those sectors in, in your party. You can't throw any of them out. You can't alienate any one of them. Because as soon as you do, you alienate one, they'll go after the other thing you have left and try to get them to alienate too by using disinformation campaigns. So it's a vicious cycle. So Trump has to play this hand the way he plays it brilliantly, which is to say nice things about everybody and never say a negative thing about anybody but who is your obvious enemy. And the enemies have to be enemies of all the factions within the Republican Party for you to be safe in saying negative things about them. It's a game of chess, folks. And we're living it right here in D.C. And Trump has his hands full, but he's doing a great job in playing the game that needs to be played to gain the power to support the America First policies literally to make America great again. And I love the new slogan that Trump has, to save America is really what it's about now. It's not just to make it America uh, great again. It's about saving America. But Toyota did that. They buckled to the pressure of the Lincoln Project. And that wasn't pressure at all because Lincoln Lincoln Project doesn't have that much muscle. But they have a lot of Coke money. They have a lot of corporate sponsorships. They have a lot of corporate money. And they're playing it. That's That's how they stayed in business. Because there's a lot of these evil Republicans. There's a lot of evil Democrats, but evil evil Republicans that were rhinos that never had Trump's back. You got this guy named J.D. Vance running in Ohio. And he was a McMullen guy. He was on the Romney train going against Trump, trying to prevent him from beating Hillary. And all of a sudden now he's, you know, going to save Ohio running for uh, office. I've been to several events where J.D. Vance has been. He's a big, huge sellout. He's no different than Frank Luntz or Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell. You know, they're just with the tea leaves. We can't do that anymore, folks. That's what's so great about Trump. And let's have Trump's back. My goal is this. My dream, Trump DeSantis 2024, And then DeSantis and whoever he wants for 2028, DeSantis and whoever he wants for 2032. Because if he could run the country like he runs Florida, I'm telling you, we will be in great shape between now and the last of DeSantis' second term in 2036. Can you imagine that? For the next 15 years, we're led by people like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. How great would America be in the next 20 years? That's what we need, folks. Keep your eye on the prize, man. All right, let's take a listen to Donald Trump. This is just great stuff from Donald Trump and Maria Bartiroma. Working with the America First Policy Institute, brilliant people, great lawyers, everybody's so enthused. 
people are joining because it's a class action. It's not about me. It's about everybody. And people are joining left and right. They're joining at a level that nobody, I guess I could say this on your show. It's takeonbigtech.com. Takeonbigtech.com. And they're joining like, like, I don't know, I guess probably most of these class actions have never seen before. And what it is, is they're taking away your freedom of speech. They're taking away your right to speak. They're taking away everything and they get powers. They have a section 230, it's called, and that gives them immunity, that gives them protection. But once they have that, they no longer have that kind of a power where you can't go after it. This is a private company. Well, now they're not private companies. They're getting the biggest subsidy, and you can call it that. They're getting the biggest subsidy that any con- company has ever gotten from a government. I mean, they, they're immune from so many different things, but they're not immune from this lawsuit. Because what they've done is such a violation of the Constitution, a violation like we've never seen before. You look at, they take me down, they take all conservative voices down, or most of them. If they find them, they take them down. It's a disgrace. Now, Mr. President, your lawsuit argues that big tech companies are being used to impose illegal and unconstitutional government censorship. In other words, they are working as agents of the government. Uh, We do have uh, information uh, and evidence to show that there was a real conversation going on between Mark Zuckerberg and Dr. Anthony Fauci, for example, during the pandemic. Uh, They did censor key information. We had Dr. Corey and Senator Ron Johnson on last week to discuss ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, which may very well uh, have been very important treatments for uh, COVID-19, and yet social media censored them. So tell me about that, because you've got social media working hand in glove with the Democrat Party. Is that what gives you the opening to sue these companies, even though they do have that 230 immunity? Well, that's one of the many reasons. But when you say they work with government, They work with Democrats within government and, frankly, outside of government. They work with the Democrats. It's a Democrat machine. It should be a campaign contribution, the largest ever made. And even on the election, how they helped rig the election, the 2020 presidential election, they have locked boxes all over the place. They bring them in late. They bring them in whenever they want. The boxes are open. Trump has some, in some cases, virtually no votes within the boxes, like we got no votes. We got 12 million more votes. That I got the first time. And they have a lockbox and people are looking at that left and right. By the way, the investigation going on right now from different states is massive concerning the, the, the rigged election of 2020. It was a disgrace. But a big part of that rigging was done by these companies, these very companies that we're suing on different grounds and on other grounds. Yeah, I want to get back to that in a moment. But, you know, these companies are pushing back. And yet I had a list on this program two weeks ago about the biggest lies of all. Uh, That includes the Russia hoax, the phony dossier, impeachment with no crime, Hunter Biden's laptop, business deals, the origins and treatment of COVID-19, voting laws in 14 states or Jim Crow. And of course, they called the armed they called it an armed insurrection. And yet no guns were seized. All of this misinformation 
information to the public, and yet Twitter has restricted the account of a Chinese scholar who dared to mock Xi Jinping. Also, Twitter allows the Global Times, which is Chinese Communist Party propaganda, to come out with a story the other day and recommend that the CCP bomb Australia. How is it possible that these companies that have enriched themselves because of the liberty and freedoms of America to go on and cancel a former president, a sitting president at the time, and allow propaganda from the CCP to run wild and Iranians run wild on Twitter? I, I don't understand what this motivation is. Well, the motivation is a sick motivation. And when you look at it, they allow Hamas, they allow uh, uh, countries and dictators that want to destroy everything and everybody and that are doing tremendous harm to their countries, killing people by the thousands. They're allowed. But a president of the United States that has a following like nobody's seen before, we're not allowed to do that. And so we have to use other methods until this lawsuit is it's going to wind its way through the courts. I think it's going to be very successful. It's been as you know, it's been very well received, very popular. A lot of legal scholars are saying it's about time. So we look forward to that. Mr. President, it is being also reported, though, that this was filed in Miami, in Florida, rather, and yet the jurisdiction is not right because the terms of service for these social media companies uh, are in California. So explain that. You filed this lawsuit, class action lawsuit, in Florida, and yet their terms of service say that this can only be done in California. Well, I filed a lawsuit, and I live in Florida. Florida is my home state, and we filed it, therefore, in Florida. And they would probably like to get it out of Florida. Maybe they'll try and bring it into an area where they feel they have total control of everything, and they'll try, and our lawyers will be fighting. The fact is, I live in Florida, so it's the obvious place to file it, and we'll see what happens on that. But we should be successful. Mr. President, you just referred to the 2020 election. I want to refer you to an article in The Federalist over the weekend, and it says new evidence indicates enough illegal votes in Georgia to tip the 2020 results. This is from The Federalist. I want to get your thoughts on what's taking place right now in Arizona and in Georgia with regard to that as you continue to post and discuss election 2020. That's right. Well, The Federalist, uh, they have 35,000 votes, and that's far more, numerous times more than we need to win that state. But there are many other things in Georgia. That Georgia was so corrupt. It was so incredibly corrupt. Uh, frankly, nobody's seen anything like it. And you have a secretary of state. You have a, a governor that does nothing about it, and they have to get on the ball. But 35,000 votes, was, and this is just one category. If you look at what's going on in Arizona, Arizona has been incredible. The state senators in Arizona have taken it to heart. They're doing an audit, a forensic audit, like you haven't seen really in this country. They're going to be announcing the results. That's done by them. It's not done by me. These are great patriots. They're going to be announcing the results of that audit, Maria, I hear over the next two or three weeks. And, you know, I would imagine it would be horrendous. But we'll see. Maybe it'll be wonderful. But we're going to see. It's a very big deal. And this is, again, done by the Senate, the state Senate of a state that looked and they watched and they saw, wow, we're being scammed. Uh, take a look at Pennsylvania. They're now starting an audit. So many areas uh, 
in New Hampshire. They found horrible things in New Hampshire with respect to the voting. And we're talking about all determinative. The word is determinative. In other words, things that would overturn. I'm not saying if you lost by 10,000 votes and you found three votes of dead people, as an example. No, I'm talking about many times the 10,000 votes necessary. We won this election in a landslide. We got 12 million more votes, Maria. Yeah. 12 million more than I got the last yeah. time. The last time I won. This was a rigged election, and the people aren't standing for it. So we will Mr. go forward, and let's see what happens. Mr. President, you know that the Supreme Court would not take any of this up. And today we are facing a situation where you're not even allowed to discuss any of this. You get attacked on social media if you raise any irregularities. I want to get your take on where we go from here, because there are 14 states that have come up with new voting laws. Do you think that the current laws on the books and these new laws will ensure a fair and free election in 2022 and 2024? That's right. States like Texas and others have uh, taken it to heart. They saw what happened. They saw the travesty of the election. They know what happened. They were very strong during the election, and we won Texas very easily. But they know exactly what happened, and they've drawn up new laws. Many states, I think that you have, I think it's going to be 41 states are looking at it very strongly because they saw the travesty of the 2020 election. And we can't have that, where a large percentage of our population and 78 percent of the Republican Party thinks the election was rigged and stolen. We can't have that as a country. We were known for great elections, for honest elections. These elections were so corrupt with the mail-in ballots and by the thousands and people getting three, four and five mail-in ballots. Just like in New York. Look what happened in New York. And look what happened previously in New York with a congressional race. They never had any idea who won that race. So this was a, a terrible lot on our country and our country's history and our country as a, you know, free and fair place. This, you can't allow this to happen. We were very disappointed by the Supreme Court because they didn't have the courage to take it up. They didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Too controversial. They didn't That's want right. anything. The Supreme Court didn't have the courage to take it up and they should be ashamed of themselves. Well, that's uh, there's more to that interview. There's probably about 20 more minutes. And obviously, we're at the end of our hour. Um, but there is a lot of momentum, folks, uh, going on here. Uh, one of the I keep getting a lot of questions. Where are you on Facebook? Uh, I'm in jail on Facebook. Um, I got the, I just checked it before the show today. And it says I have 15 more days. So 15 days from now, I guess the 27th, 28th of July, I'll be, uh, um, I'll be back on. So that'll be that. Um, but, uh, you know, I apologize for not getting back to people on Facebook. I can't even reply to people. Um, so, and again, I did nothing wrong. You know, I was speaking the truth. Um, Section 230 is protected because people like, Carly Fiorina worked deals out with big tech, and that was the issue. Guess who was behind the Carly Fiorina Chiliad? Christina uh, Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell's sister. Anyway, that's where it all comes from. It's a bunch of spooks spying on Americans. Anyway, we're at the end of the show. My name's Scott Adams. Be sure to check out buglecall.org, magapack.org, and Scott Adams Show for the latest podcasts. See you next time on the radio. Bury my kids right up to there.